Thank you so much, friends, for tuning in to Infertility and Me podcast. Today we have May Claire. You may know her as Prequel to Parenthood on Instagram. If you follow her there or if you follow me, you've seen I reposted some of her things and stories and such like that. So May Claire, thank you so much, dear, for coming onto the podcast. I know you're going through a lot, but I'm just so glad that we still had a chance to talk today and um, I can get to know you a little bit better outside of the Graham and Fertility Valley. <laughs> Thanks so much, Monique. I'm so happy to be here with you today. I'm super excited to talk. So how did you and hubby um, meet? I know you guys uh, met a little later in life mm-hmm. and, and that you guys um, started out online dating, right? We did. We are a match.com success story. Uh, so we met in April of 20, or sorry, we got married in April of 2018. We met in July of 2015. So we just celebrated five years together. Um, I had been online dating for a couple of years and just, it's like finding a needle in a haystack. Mm-hmm. And then I came across this really hot guy that mm-hmm. called himself uh, equal parts computer nerd, musician, and athlete. And I'm like, yeah, I don't believe that. But mm-hmm. that's legit him. Like, that's totally who he is. Um, yeah, and we met and we totally hit it off from like the moment I met him, I knew he was different. Mm-hmm. We went for brunch, which turned into this epic five or six hour long brunch date. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Like, I just kind of knew that he was different, this was different, and here we are, five years later. Wow, that's amazing. And I love that um, I love that you guys met at a time where it seems like, you know, most people will probably give up. Mm-hmm. And um, you guys persevered through it and you found each other. You know, it's not easy. You know, your soulmate is out there, and we have different types of soulmates, you know, whether it's friendships and other types of relationships, but... It's just so hard sometimes, especially in today's age where everybody is so distracted by so many different things and being able to still find your person that you connect deeply with um, is amazing. So I, I loved you guys' stories and reading it in the beginning of your prequel to parenthood uh, book. And we'll talk about that in a minute. So when did you guys start trying to conceive in your when, after you got married and stuff? Yeah, so it was actually right after we got married. Um, we knew we would have children. Um, which is actually kind of funny. I never thought I'd have children. I was never the girl that thought I wanted to be a mother until I met my husband. And Mm -hmm. there was something about him and being with him that made me know I wanted to be a parent. So we had, you know, decided we would have children before we got married. We've already named our future children that don't exist yet. Um, And so when we were on our honeymoon, uh, we decided that okay, let's give it a shot as soon as we get back. So we started trying officially right after our wedding. And six weeks later, I was pregnant. Um, Completely naturally, complete surprise. We thought it would take a while and shocked, completely shocked that I got pregnant. So I thought, well, because I was 41 at the time. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, this is great. I thought I was going to have issues, but per- apparently we're incredibly fertile. So everything was great. We were happy and excited. And we bought our first home um, in that right shortly after we found out we were pregnant. And at 11 weeks, five days, uh, we miscarried the first baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was really traumatic. Um, I think in part because we were just a couple of days away from 12 weeks and everybody says, if you make it to 12 weeks, everything's going to be great. Right. 
um, and you're in the clear. So being so close to that milestone made us feel like, well, this is going to be totally fine. Um, at our first ultrasound at eight weeks, the baby had a very strong heartbeat, um, 160 beats per minute. Everything looked strong. Everything looked great. And it really took us by surprise. Um, so yeah, it was not, it was really hard. It was really hard. And then obviously emotionally really traumatic, but physically what my body went through with that first miscarriage was a real shock to me. And, and that's part of why I ended up writing my book because I hear of a lot of people that have miscarriages, but nobody really talks about what physically happens to their body. And it was really traumatic. And, and at one point, my husband, Greg, had to rush me to the emergency room. And I still remember the the OB that they called in saying that I had undergone severe trauma and lost an exceptionally high volume of blood. Mm. And I just kept thinking, how does no one talk about this? Mm. How does no one talk about what happens to your body when you have a miscarriage? So... So that's where our story begins. Um, and then after that, we tried, I assumed instantly, well, we'll get pregnant again super quickly because we did the first time and it didn't happen. Um, we, we tried for a few months. Um, I was about to turn 42 and I basically pushed my OB and she's like, we'll try for you know at least six months and then we'll see. And I'm like, no. We're going to use my 42nd birthday, which was not even five months after the miscarriage, um, as our timeline. And if I'm not pregnant by then, then you're going to send me somewhere. And she's like, okay, you've got a deal. So uh, conveniently, I don't know if that's the right word, but my period started on my birthday when I turned 42. And I emailed my doctor and I'm like, what's our next step? So she sent me for all the standard tests um, AMH, FSH. Uh, we went. I went for the HSG. Um, when we did the HSG, it was interesting because they initially. I mean, they do the test to see if your tubes are blocked. Essentially, for those not familiar with it, it's a a test under X-ray where they insert dye through your cervix up into your uterus to see if your fallopian tubes are open. Um, and my tubes were open, but the tech noticed that my uterus might be abnormally shaped. Mm -hmm. So that added extra stress mm -hmm. um, for a couple of weeks until they got me in for an MRI to determine that, no, it was just the angle and my uterus is fine. Um, but that was a moment of unneeded panic and stress during this right. whole journey. So eventually, fast forward, we ended up at a fertility clinic. Um, we met with one doctor and he said, let's try IUI. He's like, you got pregnant really easily. Your numbers aren't too bad. Your husband's numbers aren't too bad. You know, we'll get you pregnant. So we did one round of IUI. And uh, I, I still remember the nurse telling us on the morning of the insemination that um, she's like, you have a really high probability of twins because mm -hmm. we had two eggs or two follicles, which would imply two eggs. And um, my husband's sperm was in abundance. So mm -hmm. she's like, yeah, we've got a really high probability of twins. So I was convinced that this is absolutely going to work for us. And it didn't. Um, so we did it again. Um, I was taking letrozole, um, which is a fertility drug, which can drive you crazy. Yeah. Um, at the time, they upped my dose of letrozole for that second IUI. We ended up with three follicles or three eggs, presumably. Uh, and again, the nurse is like, we've got a really high probability of twins. And I did get pregnant um, mm -hmm. with that second one with just one baby. 
and we miscarried that baby at nine weeks, nine weeks, one day, I think. Um, and then immediately went to IVF after that. So it's been quite a long haul. We started IVF in, well, um, I had my first consult for IVF in June of 2019, mm -hmm. um, but the clinic we were at had a waiting list and quite a long wait to get in. So it was actually October of 2019 that I did my first uh, stem cycle retrieval, um, which is a really long wait considering I had done all of the preliminary testing and we literally were just waiting for a spot in their calendar for me. So this, I learned a lot through this experience because with the first clinic we were at, I very naively, and I'm sure others who are just starting a fertility journey are quite similar in the fact that I assumed my doctor knew what was best for me. I assumed if they had a really long waiting list, then every clinic must have a really long waiting list, especially the really good ones, which is not true. Um, and I assumed that I was getting a treatment that was specific to me. And we're paying for everything completely out of pocket. So it's really hard when you're paying all this money and it doesn't work. Yeah. So we did our first cycle, um, did not go well. And they ended up canceling me on canceling my cycle on day nine. So what that means um, for those maybe not familiar with it is they, I was on all of the stim drugs uh, stimulating my, my follicles for nine days. And then they decided that this wasn't, going to be a good idea and we should just cancel this cycle and start over. Um, actually, one thing I didn't mention is when I first had the consult mm -hmm. with the IVF doctor, she was the first one that said to me that we had an egg quality problem. Okay. Um, and I, looking back on the fact that with the IUIs, we had two eggs the first time, three the second time. So five eggs and one of those fertilized and made me pregnant. So that should have been an indication right away that there might be a problem with my eggs. Um, so the the IVF doctor we had first said, you know, your option, your only option really should be IVF with PGS testing to check the quality of the embryos because mm -hmm. I've got an egg quality problem and it can lead to genetic abnormalities, which is thought to be the problem for the two miscarriages. So when they decided to cancel my, I, my first IVF cycle, my doctor wasn't in that day and I saw a different doctor at the practice and she very nonchalantly says to me, oh, this isn't working. Let's cancel your cycle and we'll just move you to an IUI. And I'm like, I've been told I have a 90% chance of having another miscarriage. Mm -hmm. So you telling me you want me to do an IUI is essentially you telling me you want me to have another miscarriage. Like the whole reason we're doing IVF is to test the embryos. So that was really frustrating and, and really kind of was got me questioning the clinic we were at. But we stayed at that clinic. We did another cycle. We retrieved five eggs. Um, only one of them fertilized and that did not become a blastocyst. So that was a really low point for us, um, really wondering, you know, what was next? We had spent a huge amount of money already mm -hmm. and felt really lost. 
So at that point, that's actually when I wrote my book um, at that point, because I, I felt really lost. It was before I discovered this phenomenal Instagram community that's been so supportive. Um, and I felt really alone and just wanted to do something to kind of help others. So at that point, then we switched clinics and we moved to another clinic where we did three rounds of IVF, which we've just finished um, the fifth round. Um, and at the end of those three rounds, we had eight embryos, um, which we sent off for PGS testing. And we got the results last week and learned that all three of, or sorry, we had eight, eight embryos to start with. And then um, they grew into three blastocysts. So by the time that we got to the blast stage, we had three. Um, and all three of those embryos were really high quality, um, mm -hmm. high grade. So we were pretty hopeful. Uh, but when the PGS results came back, we found that all three were abnormal and had chromosome problems with them. Um, so that's been really devastating. Um, since then, we're holding on to a string of hope. Um, my doctor told us um, on Monday when we met with her that there's a small probability that one of our embryos might be mosaic. Okay. And if it is mosaic, um, and for those that aren't familiar with that term, what mosaic means is half of the cells are abnormal and half are normal. And there's a probability that it could result in a healthy baby. And I have heard of examples of women that have transferred mosaic embryos and have beautiful children now that are completely perfect. So, and, and I guess the reasoning is because the, the area of the embryo that they take the biopsy from for PGS mm -hmm. testing is the part of the embryo that will become the placenta and not the part of the embryo that will become the baby. So if it's a mosaic embryo, there's a possibility that it actually could lead to a healthy child. So we're waiting to hear on that news now. Um, and hopefully it might be mosaic and it may be possible to transfer and it could possibly lead to a healthy baby, but there's so many unknowns. There's a lot of uncertainty and then it's the, if it doesn't, what next? And not really sure what that looks like yet. Yeah. It's still so new too. And mm -hmm. you guys don't have all the answers yet for what will happen with your mosaic and baby. Yeah. So I can't, I can't even imagine, you know, how that feels. It's like you get the devastating news that the last three had abnormalities and then there might be a slight chance that yeah. the one could be the one, you know, and yeah, I, I just, yeah, that's, um, like my, my heart goes out to you and your husband, oh, um, no matter what happens, because um, that's not an easy pill to swallow either way. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, I can tell that there's a lot of love between you and your husband. And so when you want an extension of yourself, you know, you'll do anything. You'll try anything at least one time. Yeah, um, definitely. I definitely got my fingers crossed for you guys. Oh, thank you. <laughs>
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. So how would, what did you do this weekend? Did you do anything this weekend to try to take your mind off of everything? Did yeah. Go out and have a date night or, you know, just to connect um, in a more intimate way outside of fertility? Yeah. So we live in the Bay Area where things are still pretty locked down. So mm-hmm. we haven't been like, in all honesty, we haven't been anywhere other than the fertility clinic and an acupuncture yeah. clinic since February. So unfortunately we couldn't go out. Um, but it's the, this weekend has been horrible and amazing all at the same time. Um, and the reason it's been so amazing is we've got so many wonderful friends and this amazing community of people around us. And Thursday, when we found out the news, things magically started showing up at our house. Like it's, it's so unbelievable. I'm so grateful. Um, I, our doorbell rang and there was flowers and a pint of Ben Jerry's that came from one of my good friends in Austin. And then five minutes later, there was food being delivered to our house from mm-hmm. one of my best friends here in San Jose. Like it just, and it just continued from that. Like random people showed up at our house, our good friends with flowers and gifts and just being being there for us. And on, on Sunday, uh, my closest girlfriends here in the Bay Area came down and we had a social distancing little get together. We sat in the yard out on you know blankets, six feet mm-hmm. apart from each other with our masks on and just visited. And it just was so heartwarming and wonderful just to, to know we're not alone and to know that there's there's so many people that love us and there's so many people that want what's best for us. And that really helps through all of this for as crappy and horrible as it all is. Um, And then my husband and I just, we just spent some quality time together. Um, He, he's a, he plays guitar. He um, loves writing songs. And one of my favorite things to do is to literally just sit and watch him create music because Mm -hmm. first of all, he's gorgeous and just Mm -hmm. watching him is fun. Um, But just, just to see the joy that he gets out of that. um, I'm a very naturally emotional person. Uh, He's very strong and he's also very practical. So when we get bad news about something, his instant reaction is, what can I learn from this? What can we do different? What does this mean? Let me understand mm. it. Whereas my reaction is, let me just lie in a ball and cry for a while. Um, so it's it's really helpful to have him be so strong. 
Um, and I've also, we've learned a lot about how each of us grieves through all of this because there's been so much loss. Yeah. And I've really learned that music for him is how he copes with things and how he grieves. Um, when we lost our first baby, I, I remember coming home from the hospital and him, the first thing he did was picked up his guitar mm. and he, you know, just played his guitar and then he just sat there in silence holding his guitar for a while. And that's his comfort. Um, and for me, kind of watching him go through that is really comforting to me. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's kind of what we did this weekend. We just kind of laid low. We had a lot of people stop by and just so grateful for our amazing community of, of friends We're we don't have any family here in the Bay area. It's just okay. of us. So, um, our family's all spread. I'm, I'm from Canada originally. So my family's all still in Canada and my husband's family and is spread out all over the place. Mm-hmm. My mother-in-law's in Texas and my brother-in-law's in Chicago and then mm-hmm. another brother-in-law in New Orleans and another one in Texas. So everybody's spread out quite a bit. And my husband has a lot of family on the East coast too. So. Yeah. That's amazing that you guys have such good friends and you don't have any family in, you know, in your localized yeah. area within an hour, you know, time or anything like that. Sure. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's great. And I was going to ask you, how do you have um, in your mind, and it may be too early, but do you have in your mind a way or ways in which you will continue to cope with however the journey goes from here? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think a big part of it is figuring out what's next mm-hmm. um, and how we cope will really kind of depend on what we plan to do next. Um, I... My doctor has recommended that we go down the path of an egg donor. She doesn't recommend that we try another stim cycle because we've done five and have nothing. So she she thinks it's be a really low probability that we would end up getting a healthy embryo. Um, I still struggle with that, mm-hmm. um, with using an egg donor. Um, something I talk about in my book and not everybody will understand this, but for me, it, it's something that I really need to work through. But um, my husband and I are a biracial couple. My husband is black and I'm white. Mm-hmm. And I, for years now, have been really lear- educating myself, mm-hmm. um, knowing that I will be the mother of a biracial child. And there's a really high probability that my child will be a different color than me, which I absolutely love. and. But I know that our society is not as understanding and not as accepting, unfortunately. And I know that I will encounter many cases where people question if this is really my child because it's a different race than I am. Mm-hmm. And I also know that my child will be questioned if I'm really its mother. Mm-hmm. And that's really unfortunate, but I, I have other mothers of biracial children and, and they've shared stories with me about what they've gone through. And I think it's that that's really causing a lot of my, a lot of my insecurities with using an egg donor, because I really want to say that this is really my child. And I I know if I carry the child and I give birth to the child, and even if we were to adopt a child, like I, I know it would definitely be my child. I know that, but it's this added complexity because of the biracial nature of our relationship. 
So that for me is something I really need to, to work through to be able to be comfortable knowing that I could have a child that's not my DNA. Yeah. Um, and then just how to work through that with the child as well too. So, so yes, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of coping and a lot of, uh, Mm -hmm. a lot of learning that I need to do through all of that. But I'm one of my greatest qualities that my, my boss would tell you at work is that I'm very adaptable and, um, I, I deal with things really quickly. Um, I, I deal with change really quickly. So I, I kind of laugh that I go from, nope, definitely not doing this, not my thing, not what I can do to, well, maybe I could do it in a really short time frame. So I'm, I'm coming around to it. I think I'm probably coming around to it knowing because it might be our only hope. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot I need to work through with that. Um, Absolutely. Understandable. So yeah. I think that's what a lot of the issue that people have with egg donorship or sperm donorship. Yeah. And I feel like women are more uh, forgiving of those kinds of things mm-hmm. than, than men are. So yeah, so not to knock on wood or anything like that, but it's probably better that it's, that it's probably better in this case that you have to make that decision as opposed yeah. to your husband. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I absolutely know what you mean. 100%. And it's interesting though, too, because as you said that, I kind of laughed in my head and I said, well, I'm glad it's me and not him because I want a little version of him. Like, right. and it's, it's so funny because whenever, from the moment I first started thinking that we were going to have children, I instantly have pictured myself with a little version of him wreaking havoc on my life because my husband is very, he's got a great sense of humor. He's very inquisitive. Um, he's very mischievous. And I'm just like, oh dear Lord, this is my future. Mm-hmm. And like when I see him, you know, dancing around the house and just being silly and goofy, like I, I just, it warms my heart because mm-hmm. I can see there being a little version of him right next to him doing that too. So for me, that 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 helps that really helps me cope yeah. with it because it's not to say that I don't want a little version of me I actually already have a little version of me um my mm-hmm. my brother has two girls um and my nieces are the closest thing in the world to me I love them more than anything mm-hmm. and they are me um the younger one in particular is yeah she is she is definitely my mini me um and I yeah so I I love that so yeah. it it makes it a little easier in the way and it's, yeah, it makes it a little easier in a way to know that, you know, I have these two nieces that are my world and so wonderful and pretty much reincarnations of me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I have the same experience with my niece. She's my only niece. Yeah. yeah. I get it. I definitely get it. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you too, as well, in relation to, we kind of touched on it a little bit already, but yeah. just getting back to the possibility of egg donorship. So then do you believe that it just becomes, as far as your healing and deciding whether egg donorship would be a part of you guys' journey to have the parent, the chance to parent together as a couple and to expand your family? So then would you say that it's just a matter of whether parenthood is the most important aspect at this point or the DNA, like you say, but in all reality, if you're carrying the baby, your blood is still flowing through them. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. 
Yeah, it definitely does make sense. And and I've actually talked to a couple of friends that have done donor eggs um, this weekend, as well as uh, a, a friend of mine who's an OB. And, and she explained a lot of things to me too. And she's like, people get really focused on genetics, mm-hmm. but there's something called epigenetics right. and you growing this child inside of you with your DNA influences the DNA of the child. So whereas it may not be my genetics, it's, it's my blood that is creating this child and my blood that would be growing this child. And, you know, me that would be carrying, holding it and carrying, Mm caring, caring for it. So that learning things like that are helpful to me. Um, I also was chatting with a a friend on one of my Instagram besties, um, who I've never met, but I love dearly, who has just um, had she's wait she's in her two week wait right now. Um, so praying for her, and she used an egg donor, and she told me one of the things that made her more comfortable with it because they struggled with it at first as well yeah. was she has a cousin um, who's gay, and they have two children where her cousin and his husband um, used the sperm from one of each of them for their two children, mm-hmm. um, but the same egg donor and the same surrogate. Mm-hmm. And she said that the children look like the surrogate, not like the egg donor. Mm-hmm. And that just like, it, it just kind of really warmed my heart and kind of gave me goosebumps to think that, you know, this woman that carried these children for this couple, even though she had zero genetic tie to them has somehow influenced what these children are like. So I thought that was a really helpful story for me um, and really kind of warmed my heart. So you had to be very comforting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So it's, it's things like this that are, are opening my mind to it a little bit more. And, Mm -hmm. and I, I mean, my mind has been obviously open to it for a number of months because I've been coming up with all the reasons of things I needed to work through. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not like this came out of nowhere, but we really were holding on to hope that we would have a child through IVF in, in our own, with our own genes. So it's, I'm getting there. I'm definitely getting there. Um, And I think to what you said earlier that we really want to be parents. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, so there's, there, there's options. Um, the egg donor is the probably more common one. Um, the other is donor embryos or embryo adoption, mm-hmm. um, which would be essentially like adopting a baby, but I would carry it and be pregnant. Right. Um, so yeah. that would be no genetic tie to either my husband or myself. Um, and we've talked a little bit about that as well. So it's really just kind of working through what's best. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, it's also expensive, especially yeah. egg donation. Like the thought of having to spend $45,000 more to try something that may or may not work after we've already spent all this money is really yeah. scary and daunting. And yeah, but my husband, the eternal optimist in him, uh, and who can find something positive in every situation, says, well, he's like, well, he said this based on the two of us, but um, he's like, you know, we're both super smart. 
Um, he, he's super athletic. He's like, this child is getting a scholarship. So we're just paying for college now. So the college right. fund, <laughs> the college fund is essentially paying for this child to be born. And then this child will be, you know, a brainiac athlete and gets called scholarships and we'll be, we'll be totally fine. Don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> Brains and so, athleticism. We yeah. So, so yeah. So I, I appreciate that in him. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's hard to think yeah. that, you know, we, I'm grateful that we did have some funds to fund the early part of this. Um, but, you know, we also bought a house right when we were pregnant the first time. So, mm-hmm. you know, it exhausted our savings really quickly. And um, yeah, so it's, it's, I hate that it comes down to money for so many things. Like that's really unfortunate. Yeah. It's the driving force behind every decision we make. Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Know? It really does. It, so. it definitely is. And we did the same thing. Well, we downsized before we did IVF and we saved for two years and then we did the IVF and then we stayed in the, we had a two level condo and we stayed there for Omar's first year and a half of life before we moved, you know, because we had saved money for IVF and we were still saving to purchase yeah. a home that he could grow into. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it's just, it's, we, could, we do a lot of sacrificing mm-hmm. during fertility struggles and infertility. Yeah. yeah. A lot that's, of sacrificing. It's the perfect word because everything is a sacrifice. Like, yeah, I feel like it, it, I was so grateful to have my girlfriend stop by and visit this weekend because and I, I still have a close group of friends that I'm super close with, but I feel like I've sacrificed a lot of relationships through this because I just haven't had the emotional capacity to talk to people. And there's a ton of people that are really good friends of mine that it's not that I'm avoiding them and it's not that I you know don't want to be their friend anymore. That's not it at all, but I just don't have the emotional capacity to talk to people. So it's, yeah, it's sacrifice is a, a really good word. You know, I think a lot of it too is that infertility, fertility struggles make us very selfish. And I don't mean that in necessarily like a really negative connotation, but just the fact that it requires so yeah. much of us as a whole, as a being we don't really know. We can't really be friends to anybody else. Yeah. No, you have to be. That That's it's, exactly it. You have to be right. selfish. It makes you so selfish for, you know, however yeah. long until you get to a place where you can, you know, pour out because you're giving so much. You give your body, you give your time, your energy, yeah. your money, everything, every, everything that makes you you is given during fertility. Yeah. Definitely. Everything, every part of you. It's so crazy. It really is. Yeah. And I saw something on Instagram this morning that I reposted that said, no one told me that fertility was a full-time job. And seriously, seriously, like that, I mean, I've got a full-time job that makes me work a bazillion hours a, a week. And on top of that, like the stress of running around, going back and forth to appointments. Uh, in one way, the quarantine was the 
the best thing that ever happened with this pandemic because it would, I live in the Bay area where traffic is insane. I know mm-hmm. you in, in DC area too. It's, it's horrible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like it would be, it should be 25 minutes for me to get to the fertility clinic and it would take me an hour and a half to get there on any given day and to have to drive an hour and a half to get there for a 15 minute appointment and then get home mm-hmm. again. And like in the middle of my work day, like it was, I was so exhausted. I'm st- I'm still exhausted just from the last two years of all of this fertility treatment because of the back and forth and all of the appointments and yeah. every, like it's just it's so exhausting. Now, I wanted to ask you too before we start talking about a little bit more about your book yeah. is do you wish or do you sometimes or at some point in the journey over the last two two and a half years. Did you ever feel like, well, damn, I should have just went ahead and got my eggs freeze, you know, five, six, six, ten years ago before I met my husband? Has that ever been a thing for you? Yeah, it's interesting because I I have thought that, um, although at the time when I would have frozen them, I never thought I was having children. Like I had these two perfect nieces and mm-hmm. I, I always wanted a partner, but I, I don't want to say that like my career was my big focus, but it really was for yeah. so much of my life that I just didn't think I'd be a, a mother. But I, I have gone back and thought a number of times that when I first moved to California 10 years ago, um, one of my best friends was going through. IVF and it's really when I started learning a lot about IVF and I at the time the company that she and I worked for um, had fertility benefits and I am kicking myself now that I didn't use those benefits to freeze my eggs seven to ten years ago Um, and that's one thing that really kills me Um, my dad has said to me a couple times too he's like do you wish you had frozen your eggs when you're 25 and I'm like I I get I I can't remember I've said something like so when I in my 20s I I was in grad school and then I moved to England for a few years and then like the number of, I'm like, I could have frozen my eggs at a number of times, but they would have been in a different country than I am right now. And then that would have added extra complications too. However, I would have gone to another country for 25 year old eggs. Um, So yeah, it's, (laughs) if if you, if you could see, like, I'm, I'm definitely not the kind of person to tell people what to do. I, I, I hate unsolicited advice. I would never do that to anyone, but I, have a few friends that are young that I'm, I've just said, don't have a baby when you're 43. Like, just, just don't just figure something out before then. Um, but yeah, I, I do wish that I had frozen eggs at an earlier time in my life, even if I didn't think I was going to need them. Um, you know, that triggered a thought. One thing that's hit me a few times is my eldest niece who just graduated high school. Um, she's 17. When she was born, I remember holding her for the first time and she was super tiny. She and her sister were both premature. And I remember having this overwhelming feeling. And it was, I remember thinking in my head that everybody says, you don't know, you can love a person so much until you have a child. And I had that with my nieces in particular with the first one, because she was first. Um, But I also remember bawling my eyes out, holding her for the first time. And something inside of me kind of told me that this was as close as I was ever going to get. Mm. And I've always kind of held on to that. And I'm like, 
I, I look back now and I'm like, was that something that my body was telling me 17 years ago that I was going to have issues having children? Like, I, I don't know, but I've, I've always held on to that. And, but I also think because I had that strong connection with her and then three years, two and a half years later with her sister, that it made our relationship even so stronger. Strong, yeah. Yeah. So have you thought about, um, essentially in a way, letting go of that? On a spiritual level, subconscious level? Yeah, I, I feel like I kind of have to because I feel like I'm kind of holding on to it. That, mm-hmm. And I, I almost fear to like, have I done something to like tell myself that this isn't going to work because I've had that feeling like I, that that's a lot to unpack and I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting. Like, I, I, yeah, I haven't talked to anybody about it since you know, it's been mm-hmm. only something that's been in my head. You're the first person I've mentioned that to. Oh, so um, yeah, you are special, Monique. I'm, I, I love you so much. I've really enjoyed getting to know you through Instagram and the rally and just listening. So yeah, I'm, I'm so glad we're connected. It's amazing what you, with, with what um, the relationships you can form with people when you use social media in an intentional way. Definitely. Um, with a yeah. purpose that's essentially beyond your own, because even mm-hmm. sharing your journey on there is beyond you because you inspire so many other women and men yeah. and couples um, who are going through fertility issues and then still yeah. having such a loving and intimate relationship with your spouse, because it's so hard to do, you know, and to maintain that and to, you know, keep up with your marriage, you know, yeah. the entire time. And I mean, we fall short, of course, but um, you know, I can tell that the love is there between you guys. You just, you just have a very natural way of being together. I watch you guys in stories. So it's, it's <laughs> yeah. very difficult to do. Um, I, yeah. And I think that you said it best though, when you said that your husband is like, he brings the other type, the, the, the yin to your gang. You know what I mean? Definitely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so your book, Prequel to, to Parenthood, I'm hoping I'm still getting in the mail. I hope somebody didn't take my freaking book. I'm going to be pissed. I know. I know. So I, I mailed this book to Monique two weeks ago and it's not it's like there crazy. yet. crazy. So. You're only in California. And they're like, you know, we in the country. It's crazy. I know. If you don't get it, I'll send you another one. So. No, don't even worry about it because I'll just go on the website and buy it. And I'm just, and they're going to freak, they're going to gain my book this time. Shoot. But yeah, so I did get to read the, the, um, the, the, um, the sample on Kindle, which gives you like the first 106 to 10 pages or something like that. Yeah. So, um, and I didn't want to really talk about anything in it because I didn't want to give too much away, but, um, that's how I learned about you guys' online dating because I read that that was part of the first first couple chapters, you know, and everything. But I do want to get into, do you find, well, I wanted to ask this because I, I've always written poetry as a kid. And so mm-hmm. sometimes I feel like we get ideas to write things in the midst of something and you, a good writer always goes through something before they write or while they're in the middle of it. Right. And your yeah. writing is very, 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 very good. Um, and you articulate your feelings very well in, a, in a, an engaging way. And so I wanted to ask, because it's called prequel to parenthood. I feel like this is going to be like a saga, you know? And, <laughs> and I feel like, um, I just wanted to ask if you feel like, have you been inspired to write with you guys' latest news with your journey? Have you been inspired to write those those thoughts down, those feelings for a later time to put them into um, a second part to the prequel? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, my husband actually 
said something about it before before it even crossed my mind when he he told somebody that I had written a book he said I was writing a book and I'm like what do you mean I'm writing a book I already wrote a book and he's like he's like it's a trilogy it's gonna have parts to it (laughs) and I never really thought about it beyond that point like for me it was I, I really felt moved and compelled to to write the story the beginning of the story because my goal of writing it really was to try and raise awareness about pregnancy loss and infertility because no one talks about it and in particular like I have a big section on what I went through with my miscarriages because you just hear oh I had a miscarriage from so many people and for somebody that either hasn't experienced it or goes through it for the first time or is supporting somebody going through a miscarriage or somebody supporting somebody going through infertility I wanted people to have like a raw really just detailed version of you know, what you go through and both emotionally and physical and what, what happens. So I I don't know if I'll write another part to the book immediately. I, I probably will eventually. Um, but I have started a blog, which is also at prequeltoparenthood.com. And I've been kind of in real time writing what's been going on on the blog. So I, I had a blog post that I wrote Thursday, um, pretty soon after we learned the news that mm-hmm. I think I called it when everything falls apart. Yeah. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. And a, yeah. And just kind of raw emotion of what was happening and what's going on. And I think part of the reason I wrote the book and I'm doing the blog is I feel like it, at some point it'll be a good resource for our future child. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um to see how loved they were and how much they were wanted and everything we went through to get them. So however that happens to come, um, I'm, I still truly believe that we will have a child and we will be parents. I just don't know what that looks like yet. Um, but yeah, so I feel, I feel like I will keep writing. Um, will there be another book? I I don't know yet. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm really, I'm really proud of the book that I did write um, because of really what I tried to do with it. Um, one, one thing in the book that I, I'll mention, I'm, I'm not sure if you saw it in the table of contents, but I have a chapter in the book that's called um, things people say when they think they're helping, but they're yeah. not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that to me was the hardest, but the most important chapter to write. Because, and that really, I really hope that people that might be supporting somebody through an infertility journey will help, will learn from my book, will, will, it will help them um, cope or help others cope. Because so many things are said, and they're well-intentioned. People mean well. Some of the people that I love most in this world have said really horrible things to me or to us. And I know they mean well, but they just don't know. And that really comes with the stigma of people not talking about infertility and not talking about pregnancy loss and miscarriage and IVF Mm -hmm. and fertility treatments. People just don't know and people just don't understand. And you get all this unsolicited advice, which is not helpful and hurtful in many ways, but people don't understand what they should and shouldn't say. So I, I just wanted to kind of offer some thoughts on on that well I don't think that part that is a 
everybody, you know, you, you see so many different things on Instagram and, and people's blogs in fertility space about what not to say and how to support. It's such an important topic that I don't think it could be talked about enough. And so anytime anybody says that they've written something on their blog, I read it because there may be something new there. There may be an angle that I never thought about because even being on the other side, even though we're trying for baby number two, I'm still on the other side because I had the one from the first IVF. So, but you went through a lot of trauma to get, yeah, but you went through a lot of trauma to get that one. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I just try to be more conscious with single people that I come in contact with or people that, um, you know, are engaged and stuff like that. Cause they'll ask me because now that I'm public about it, everything, and I, I have a close girlfriend who's single. And um, I told her, I said, think about freezing your eggs because, and she's a year older than me. So she, she's turning actually 38 this week. And I said, think about it. Just think about it. Just think about it because you don't know when love will find you. Yeah. And you don't know when you will find love either. And if you're later in life and you still have the energy to do it, at least you'll have younger eggs you know, and I, I just encourage it. And the only reason I encourage it to her is because she asks. I don't, it's yeah. not something I would just come right out and say to somebody, you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. But, yeah. Um, so there, I, I'm always reading what not to say, because I need to remind myself sometimes too, when I'm dealing with people and just having general conversations, I find that when I'm out in public now, I guess I carry a different aura and mm-hmm. people, they conversate with me and they tell me things and stuff. And so I think our fa- our family and friends need to know. <laughs> definitely so, yeah we talk to them the most you know yeah. so yeah I, I never shun away from that topic especially when somebody like yourself has written a blog or a book and touched on it because there's so much you could say there's so many instances so many comments so many jokes you know like yeah it's so crazy what people will say to you oh it's so without crazy even thinking yeah. about it yeah well I appreciate you May Claire for coming on here in the midst of your journey still in the midst of your journey and just sharing with us and also trusting me with your journey. Oh. Appreciate you for giving me your time this afternoon. Well, morning time for you because we're three hours apart, but yeah, I no. appreciate it so much. Oh, thank you, Monique. I really appreciate I appreciate what you're doing, um, what you're doing for this community, what you're doing for raising awareness. It's it's so important. So I'm I'm just so grateful and, and happy that I could be a part of what you're doing. Hey friend, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Infertility and Me podcast. You can connect with me and other members in the community on Instagram at Infertility and Me podcast and or watch on YouTube at Infertility and Me podcast. You can also email me at infertilityandme at outlook.com for a chance to record and help in the stigmas surrounding infertility so that we can reach more friends who may be silently suffering. Until next time.